Hello, welcome to RK Couch, the best place to chill with your friends and get your gaming goodness every Monday at 6am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I'm Ashley Hubbley. Joining me today on the couch, Kira Marchin. Hi! It is me. I am here. Excited to talk about all things gaming and couch related. Yep. Uh, everything has been sanitized. Are you? How are you feeling? Because I, I think Dylan, D- Dylan didn't I'm avoid feeling it. I'm feeling fu- Dylan didn't avoid it. Like, he got COVID from PAX. Um, yes. I feel fine. I feel... Yeah, I'm good. Like, <laughs> Which is funny, because, you know... You uh, were a hooligan. PAX... I was a hooligan. I was, you, you know, were a hooligan. Pa- you turns were. out Pax Ash is the is is very, you know, just goes everywhere. Is a social uh, butterfly. Just, is like up at all hours of the night. There is no sleep for Pax Ash. Pax Ash. Is- I mean, yeah. Listen to next week's Arcade Cast. It's just gonna be interesting. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, Dylan got the Pax. Got the Pax. Got got the got the Pax COVID. You know, exactly. all the cool kids only got it. I thought it was only for the people who went to like the. Fortress Gala, or like you went to like big events together. All the cool yeah. kids were getting it. Yeah. No, now Dylan. Dylan somehow copped it, which is actually kind of interesting that Dylan got it because I'm surprised none of the rest of us didn't get it. Then, well, there's still time. The incubation period's like a week, right? That is true. That is true. So, uh, yeah, you feel better, Dylan. <laughs> mm, definitely, a hundred percent. I've been very. Poor timing, you know, but the poor dude got it twice now. That is, it is uh, the second time. That is rough. That is rough, so yeah. Alright, on today's show we'll be uh, giving a bit of a PAX roundup. We'll be talking about CD Projekt Red's future plans and Mushroom Kingdom, here we come. Oh. But first, Kieran, Overwatch 2, it's come out. It's available for everybody to play, free to play, uh, according to Activision Blizzard. 25 million players have been mm, playing the game in the first funny. 10 days, uh, which is considerably ahead of Overwatch's perform- Overwatch, the original game's performance, uh, which uh, it announced a play base of 15 million nearly three months after its 2016 debut. Uh, and Activision Blizzard's dead daily player counts have nearly tripled the original game's peak mark. Uh, but hasn't all been smooth sailing? Uh, no. Uh, reading from Press Start, Blizzard has apologized for Overwatch 2's botched launch. Earlier this week, Overwatch 2 developers apologized for what they called a rocky start, but the game has remained plagued by misfortune after misfortune since seriously harming the free-to-play games. The free-to-play's reputation less than a week after its official launch. It started with a pair of DDO- DDoS attacks that prevented players from joining active servers during the launch because they were already populated to capacity by malicious traffic. This caused prospective players to sit in queues for hours and hours, sometimes between ten th- tens of thousands of other players, while others failed to connect to Overwatch 2's online services entirely. Meanwhile, many players had who had successfully managed to bypass the observed queues, experienced missing or mistakenly locked cosmetics, inaccurate match history data, and buggy cameras, issue that fans feel should not have made it all the way to launch day. Finally, on the list of unmitigated Overwatch 2-related pain in the arse, Blizzard's new security crimes was... Blizzard's new security requirements. During the login process, players were required to provide a mobile number to correspond with their account to, in Blizzard's words, help count down on both cheating and disruptive behavior. This new two-factor authentication process, however, caused a serious barrier for players who rejected 
They're using prepaid mobile service providers and for players who do not have an active phone number at all. Fortunately, the profound backlash from players means that Blizzard has since scrapped the whole phone number thing entirely and is working seemingly around the clock to fix the other issues that have been disappointing and frustrating players since day one. Uh, Kieran, what's your experience been? Uh, uh, obviously, you were a part of the beta. I was. You had, had early access. Mm. Uh, you were at PAX for like, the worst of it, but what are your thoughts on the Over 2 launch? Um, so I'm going to frame this by saying I am like the biggest Overwatch shill, and I'm very positive about this game. I'm way more positive than your average uh, community member or Overwatch player, probably, at the moment, or at least the vocal minority that's going on online at the moment. Um, I think the game itself is really fun. The game itself feels... Uh, it flows really well. It feels like it is well balanced overall. There's a couple characters that need a bit of tweaking, um, but yeah, gameplay overall feels better than it's ever felt. Players feel like they have more impact, or you feel like you have more impact on the game compared to Overwatch One. Um, in terms of the pure gameplay of the game, fantastic, absolutely great. Um, my biggest problem, my biggest problem is actually like I didn't have any queue problems. Like I did the first day that I was up to play it, but. I haven't really had queue problems. My only problem I've been facing consistently is because of the influx of Australian players on the servers at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to be the case that when there's too many people on the Australian servers, it overflows to Singapore. And so you could, you'll be queuing for a match and say even if it's a competitive ranked match, you'll be queue and then all of a sudden you'll queue into Singapore and you'll get 150 MS much worse sometimes for me because of my internet but and it's just it's just one of those things that's uncontrollable um it's frustrating i don't know how overwatch 2 handles its lag um very differently to overwatch 1 overwatch 1 you could play with 150 ping not well but you could you could play it was manageable overwatch 2 it's like players are uh, it's like characters are rubber banding around the screen like it, it, it's it's mm. like Everybody has this blinking effect as they're running, so it's very hard to try and one v one somebody or to to have that. And that you know that has a forward effect, as I've said. Players have more agency and more impact in the games. That there, in fact, has a problem overall. Um, in terms of some of the negativity that's going on about Overwatch Two, I think the biggest one at the moment is the skins. Um, Ash, you probably haven't seen this, but. If you were to buy every skin in Overwatch currently, and that's include because all the Overwatch One skins are available to buy with real money, how much money do you think it would cost to buy the lot? Oh, like at least ten thousand dollars. Yeah, okay, it's twelve grand. Um, <laughs> it is. It is a straight. You had a joke number. Yeah, no, As... it's it's a straight twelve grand at the moment. Okay. Um, which has pissed quite a few people off. Um, and I'm in two minds with this. Yes, that number's very bad. That number's not great. But how many skins are there? There's a lot of skins. There is, say, if you are there, are there twelve thousand skins? No. Well, the problem. So the problem is right that all of the Overwatch One skins are still available to purchase, but mm-hmm. because of the transition to the real world currency, the uh, skins have been given a real monetary value now. Yes. So a legendary skin, which is quote unquote was the best skin in the game is now worth twenty dollars. I think that it's thirty reasonable. I think that's twenty dollars American. Thirty bucks Australian. That sounds about on par with a lot of these titles. Yeah. So um that is and so 
if you were to go back and buy old skins that players used to be able to get for free, you'd have to yeah, purchase them with real money. There's there's no way you can get them for free anymore. So there's no way to earn skins. Uh, not currently. Well, so if you were to buy wanted to buy one legendary skin, there is the only way at the moment you can earn coins in game for free is by doing the weekly challenges. Mm. The roughly at the moment the math works out to be thirty eight weeks of doing the weekly challenges to get one legendary skin. Okay. So th- this is my my one point is yes, Overwatch, the team at Blizzard do need to put more ways. Like if it's in the battle pass, they need to put more ways to earn coins in games. Even if it's just like I think because not this is where I think it's limited. I think if you look at some battle passes, some battle passes often contain enough coins in the battle pass to pay for your next battle pass, to reward you for completing the entire battle pass. So I think that's the thing they should do, is in the battle pass, have enough coins if you complete the entire thing to get the next battle pass, or spend the coins on a skin, if you want to. Um, I think my, my big point is, at the minute, Overwatch players are very entitled. Extremely entitled. Because mm-hmm. Overwatch 1, you paid your $60, or your 70 or 80 or however much you paid for it, sometimes 30 or 40 in the later stages. Yep. You paid your money, and then everything past that in the game was free. Mm-hmm. You didn't. It got to the point where, at the end of the game's lifespan, players were sitting with thousands of loot boxes unopened on their accounts. Because they had anything, and they, were, they had everything, and there was no point opening loot boxes anymore. Because you got a loot box every time you leveled for free. Okay. And so that means every... And so even when you were opening loot boxes that you got everything from the loot box already, you would get coins from them. Mm-hmm. And so everything in the game was obtainable for free. Okay. Once you paid your $30, 40 50 $60 to get into the game, you didn't have to pay another dollar for anything. You could just, you know, if you wanted to. You, you didn't have to. You could, you didn't, yes. You could. But you, you players were very easily able to get absolutely everything for free. Mm-hmm. Event skins, um, you know, it, like pretty much everything was in the game was free. And I think a lot of players are now feeling like that is, it's not fair that Blizzard now wants you to pay for all the skins. And I think a lot of things that people don't like pointing this out or don't like acknowledging this is the Overwatch 1 system, yes, it was very fair to the player, almost too fair to the player, but it was unfair to Blizzard. Because you were expecting, so they were expecting like six or seven years of that game for 30 bucks or 40 bucks or 50 bucks or however much you paid for it. Hmm. Yes, in the first couple of years, Blizzard did stupid amounts of numbers of money. But that money didn't continue when the player base died slowly. And the devs had to switch their focus to Overwatch 2 to, you know, for to be a actual serviceable system. I think, yes, in 2016, Overwatch and the model was absolutely normal. In 2022, the live service that has frequent updates, paddle passes, paid skins is the way to go about it is the is the 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 industry default right now and i think so many players so many games are succeeding because of that and overwatch has followed suit and to me it it, it, it's it's ridiculous because skins aren't important 
Skins don't change the game. <laughs> they really don't matter. They don't matter. It's just so you look a little bit fancier in game. You've already, you know what? From the player perspective, if you just switch all of the character models to the new Overwatch Two character skins, technically you have a new skin for every single character that you haven't seen before mm. or haven't been playing with for the last six years. There is new skins. You don't need them. They're not entitled. I think too many people are complaining that people need to pay for the battle pass or that. The free battle pass only gives you a couple skins in it, or that you know you have to get to level fifty-five in the battle pass to unlock Kiriko, which I do think that needs to be probably a little bit lower, like maybe level thirty to unlock the character. But I don't think no. it's an issue. The game isn't designed anymore <laughs> to have absolutely everything available. It is designed in a way that players can play their favorite characters without the need of feeling like they're going to get card counted or that they're, they're going to get counterpicked into their character not being viable anymore in the game, and they're not going to have fun. That's not the way Overwatch works anymore. Um, I think the system as a whole, the game is fantastic. Yes, there is plenty of bugs. There is, and you kind of have to even, it's no matter how many people, like no matter how much testing they've done prior to this, there's no way you could test everything. Like, mm-hmm. there was a problem with account migration to migrate your console accounts and PC accounts all into the same thing. And people were like, well, why haven't you tested this? Well, yeah, they've probably tested it with a couple people, but they haven't tested it with hundreds of thousands of people all doing it with at the exact same time. all different types of accounts, yeah, exactly. lengths, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's no way to account for everything. You can't account for that. You can't test for that. Um, it's going to happen. The, the game is a work in progress, and, you know, people are like, oh, this just feels like Overwatch 1. I'm like... Well, yeah, it's like saying NBA games feel like NBA games. Like, <laughs> fucking hell. Like, this is, they're not trying to entirely change the game. And I think the problem was is that their messaging had to change. When Jeff Kaplan was the previous game director on this game and Overwatch 2 was announced, Overwatch 2 was announced with a very different feel in mind. Overwatch 2 was announced as another box game that was going to give you your PvP and your PvE in career mode at the same time. That was his viewpoint and his marketing. And that isn't that isn't what Activision Blizzard wanted. That isn't what the game industry really can do anymore. I just don't think it's viable to be that way anymore. And I just, yeah, I think the biggest problem is just people are so... Uh, they feel so obligated and so um, entitled to things free now that... I, yeah, it's gonna. It's all the issues are non-factors. People can get over themselves. The fact is, the people complaining about oh, I can't buy the skins, or people in uproar about not being able to get the old skins for free, or um, paying for the old skins and then being twenty dollars. Most of the fuckers already have these skins, or they uh, <laughs> they either have the skins already, or they didn't want them in Overwatch One. Yes, the communication from Blizzard hasn't been the greatest. They didn't really communicate how coins were going to change properly, um, because. The old legacy currency is still in the game, and it now actually has monetary value. Okay. You can use the legacy... So, yep. Sorry. Yeah, so if you've been playing the game Overwatch 1 since launch... launch and you hadn't been touching all your, your coins... All your coins... All your coins from your unopened loot boxes. Yeah, because they all got loot... They all got opened for us uh, September 14th. Everybody's yes. loot boxes got auto-opened. And so people were going into Overwatch 2 with hundreds of thousands of dollars of coins. Um, of hundreds of thousands of coins, which relates to, you know, I think it was the math was something like a thousand coins is like $10. So yeah, people were getting a lot. And, and I guess Blizzard probably too right. And probably to themselves 
didn't communicate that was what was going to happen. Didn't really communicate that there would be mm. monetary value associated. So probably a lot of people spent all their coins in Overwatch 1. And went and were like, well, you know, we're not going to be able to access this stuff in Overwatch 2, so we'll, but we'll buy it the all. coin, the all the skins and stuff carry over, right? Yes, correct. One. So, so they, really they're not losing anything. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's crazy. Uh, it's just one of those things. Uh, but no, I am absolutely in love with the game. I'm so excited for battle passes. I'm so excited that there's challenges in the game. I think free-to-play is, is fantastic. Um, I think once this game settles, once the, the server settles, once they do some work, once they fix out some of these bugs, I think this is absolutely fantastic. And to see Overwatch surge in popularity and see so many big streamers and content creators playing Overwatch now and enjoying Overwatch and not cheating on Overwatch um, and, and having fun with the game, I think it's a positive overall. I think um, no no game release has these problems or these kind of no no other game releases can avoid these problems you know it's out of blizzard's control that they got fucking ddos on day one and they keep getting ddos since did they though i they just serve as a tiny but no i think i think there's a because these issues happen every time blizzard so if it happens every single time is it blizzard not launching properly or i feel like it would be they're being targeted every single time i feel like it would be inappropriate and for them to say it's a DDoS account, a DDoS attack, if it isn't a DDoS mm. attack. Like, I feel like I I would, I love to give, I would have to give them, even though they're a corporation, they're back to Blizzard and they've done many bad things, I'd have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because the moment we start believing that companies are going to use that to their own advantage is, you know, it very much turns into the boy that cried wolf. And... Yeah, it, it's just not going to take it seriously anymore. And DDoSing in general is still a serious issue. Right. Uh, and then the security thing, dude. Oh, you I was. You know what? I was a little it. bummed that this got removed. Like, I get it. Uh, I don't think it was a problem too much in Australia because Australia doesn't have the infrastructure and um around tracking. The, it, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, we can't track prepaid who's on numbers. Prepaid and yeah, who's exactly. Not, yeah. So I think all my friends that had prepaid numbers was still absolutely fine. I do know of a couple of people that actually changed over their phones to plans because when they was the first thing that's prepaid because they didn't want to miss out and that fucking sucks and that's really shit for them. Um, mm. I think it's an infrastructure thing. This is mainly the American thing. I do get it. It's pretty much saying, you know, it set a... a um, it was a little bit classist. Yeah, it was very much a bit classist. It, not even a bit. It was very classist. It was very much saying, hey, if you're too poor, you can't play our game. And that is inappropriate and that is wrong. Uh, but I think it was coming from the right place. I think mm. Blizzard were trying to, or Team 2, uh, Team 4, is it Team 4, was trying to come up with an idea and a way to stop and stem the new player experience, to stop Smurf accounts, to stop kind of unbalanced um, ranks through these accounts and player activity. Should just be honestly, it should just be force everybody to have two factor authentication on their phone and they can only have it for one account per phone and do it that way. Sure, there's ways of getting around it, but it's a hassle and it's it's an extra layer of added security for your game. Um, yeah, I think they had to roll it back, they had to give everybody the opportunity to be able to play the game. Um, but yeah, we're here now and it is, yeah, it is what it is with it. Uh, yeah, I've got it installed, so maybe one day I'll. Put it up and see what, well, well, what the big Well, once Dylan's is. feeling good, um, we'll work out a night and we'll hang out and play. 
All right. News and previews. We've got a bunch of stuff going up to the website around PAX Australia. Uh, if you go to explosionorder.com slash PAX Oz 22 P-A-X A-U-S 22. Uh, we've got a bunch of previews that we shot uh, in first impressions. Uh, we've got a bunch of, yeah, previews going up later this week, probably. Uh, of course, you can lis- listen to our last week's episode of Arcade Catch, where we were like, live on the show floor at the Audio Technica booth. Uh, discussing uh, some of our favorite games. Uh, but Kieran, do you want to give a give shout out to a couple of games? Uh, yeah, no, still no, no. Thinking I about? still think about um, very much, which I spoke about in like Fox Night. I think Fox Night is great and I'm looking forward to its full release. Uh, Ten Popo seems like a really fun game. I'd love it on my Nintendo Switch um, just to, to, to hang out and play. I think um, even to see like this week seeing Dredge being Dredge with charting in the Steam Next festival is like in its top 10 for the yeah. amounts do- the downloaded and positively reviewed games and I think it was the highest one from everything at PAX um, yeah I think there was such a wide range and variety of things at PAX I think what we've been doing to give it I don't know not just a pat on the back but even for us writing it is it's, it's a great reminder of how much great Australian games were on show at PAX um, I have a random question for you at PAX about yeah. packs, right? Just not to jump in too much with this bit, but do you feel like you coming after packs? I feel like I miss things. Like oh, definitely, where the fuck was the skull of bones wheel that I? Oh, saw? that was an invite only thing. Oh, okay. Wow, we weren't cool. Okay, the other yeah. one was a little. I had an alone in the dark booth. Where yeah, the fuck was, was that? There was a bunch of play on games. Um, I think they were at the Lenovo booth. Or one of the manufacturer booths. I just so. saw no. I was. I went around Lenovo like a couple of times. And I just saw no advertising or, yeah. or visual for it. I was. I keep seeing people. Yeah, talking about Lone in the Dark. I was like, where the fuck was Alone in the Dark? I feel like the only AAA or big games I saw was Sonic Frontiers and Street Fighter Six. Yes. Like yeah, it was. It's very <laughs> strange. Very strange. It was very strange. Uh yes. I want to shout out Dredge. That's a fun fishing game. Um, you know, in the kind of like Moonglow Bay, but, you know, more of a Cthulhu uh, setting. Uh, Nightcrawlers, uh, PvP dungeon crawler, where you, like, build up your character over three minutes and then you fight each other. Uh, what else? There's there's so many games, like, it's hard to keep track. Um well, it's, uh, Dead Pets Unleashed was my favorite game for the show. Uh, you know, a narrative adventure story where you play as a, a demon girl who's in a band. Uh, yeah, lots of visual novels titles that were there at PAX, which, you know, don't necessarily jam it well. There was a lot of stuff that uh, we wanted to play that we didn't get a chance to. Uh, but yeah, check out all our coverage at explosion.com slash PAXOS22. Uh, exciting news, though, coming out. Uh, from the Victorian government in the wake of Melbourne International Games Week. Uh, on Friday at PAX, the Minister of Creative Industries, Steve Dimpolopoulos, uh, joined local game developers to announce a game industry funding package of more than $5.25 million. 
This package works in three ways. The first is a $2 million boost that will see the expansion of Melbourne International Games Week for the next two years. The boost will go towards creating more events to bring interstate and international gamers, as well as showcasing the developer talent of Victoria on a global stage. As well as a $2.5 million investment from Victoria's Labor government will go towards establishing more collaborative game industry workplaces and business development services in Melbourne CBD. And finally, a new $750 million government funding initiative delivered by Vic Screen called Originate Games will offer funding for up to $50,000 towards the development of new ideas and mentoring opportunities from industry experts. Uh, yeah, so exciting new funding coming to Melbourne, uh, Melbourne Games, this National Games Week, going to potentially be even bigger next year. Uh, yeah, very exciting. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully that means, you know, a bigger pack next year. It is, it is very positive, though, and I think the Victorian government's actually pretty progressive in terms of Australia at large, in terms of it, supporting and, and funding these types of things and, and being prepared to, to jump into the space. We've had um, the Melbourne Esports Open funded very heavily by the Australian government, and hopefully that is in line to come back in a larger and bigger way. We had DreamHack hosted in Melbourne this year. Um, PAX is, is continues to be a staple and continues to get even larger. I think, yeah, it's it's very exciting as a Victorian to to know, despite our shitty internet connection in general for Australia, <laughs> we're still willing to to support and and uh, invest in this industry. Yeah, it's definitely be interesting to see the amount of funding that certain states have put in. Obviously, Victoria putting a lot of money in there. Some would argue uh, that Melbourne is their center point of video games development in Australia. Uh, I apparently, I heard <laughs> after the AGGAs, uh, apparently one of the guys over Player 2 made a remark like that, that Melbourne makes the best games in Australia. Uh, and that post did not go down very well with the no, rest of especially, like, Australia. Especially, so. um, Visiting the Indies and talking to a lot of Indies, for me, it seems like it's Adelaide. Like, there is a very no, Yeah, there was a lot of funding from Adelaide, the South Australian government, to send a lot of studios from Adelaide to PAX. Uh, of course, you know, lots of big, couple of big studios in Brisbane. Uh, I feel like New South Wales is lagging behind, but, you know. Yes. That, that yeah. was, I didn't hear many Sydney studios, about many Sydney studios, you know. So, you know, New South Wales government, uh, stop putting some money into video games. Is what we're saying. Stop building them stadiums and stop building some virtual stadiums. <laughs> uh, Alright, let's get into some news and kind of jumping out of Melbourne International Games Week. We had the results from this year's Australian Game Developer Awards. Uh, so I'm just going to run through the winners. Uh, Studio of the Year, Gameloft. Adam Lankman Award, Clara Reeves. Ambition Award went to Ryan McMahon. Rising Star Award went to Raymond Corrigan. Excellence in Ongoing Games, Games of Service, went to the Oregon Trail. Excellence in Emerging Games, Student or Early Career. Winner was Queer Man Peering into a Rock JPEG. <laughs> Excellence in Serious Games, Applied in the Impactful. Uh, the winner was Kind of World. Uh, Excellence in AR VR. The winner was Table of Tales, The Crude Crown. Excellence in Mobile Games, went to Wildflowers. Uh, Excellence in Accessibility, presented by Vic Screen was Lost and Hound. Excellence in Technical Design went to Age of Darkness Final Stand. Excellence in Music went to Cult of the Lamb. Uh, excellence in Sound Design went to Heavenly Bodies. Excellence in Narrative went to Wildflowers. Excellence in Gameplay went to Cult of the Lamb. Excellence in Art went to Cult of the Lamb. Game of the Year went to Cult of the Lamb. 
Uh, unsurprising that Call of the Lamb kind of dominated. <laughs> Very much. Uh, so. like, because think... that is a fantastic game. Uh, but yeah, a lot of great games on the list that missed out on any awards like Heavenly Bodies, uh, Justice Sucks, Wayward Strand. I saw people upset that it didn't come away with anything. Mm. Um, yeah, good year for Australian games. But I think we have been now. I think this is like maybe the second or third year in a row we've had like a big Australian game. Like I think we've had, you know, Total Name has been massive. Um, Untitled Goose Game. I feel like we we, we like unpacking, unpacking. Yeah, very much. Artful so. Escape. Some would say. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh God, I love Artful Escape. But yeah, to to have these games starting to make an impact in international games uh, media, not just locally, I think is absolutely fantastic, and it's a, it's a positive and. It shows the development that deserves to be here, you know. We've had 2K and, um, you know, bring out so many games for Australia and have so many of their teams located here. I think it's great to display that there is more talent than just that in Australia. And um, hopefully we start seeing more and more larger companies investing here um, to, to kind of grow and spread the talent that is here. Absolutely. So, yeah, very exciting. You should check out all those games if you can. So this is a story that kind of broke last week when we were at PAX. Uh, CD Projekt Red announces multiple Witcher games, a cyberpunk sequel, and a new IP. Reading from Well Played, uh, during its group strategy update, CD Projekt Red has announced three new Witcher games, a sequel to CG Cyberpunk 27, and a brand new IP all, are all in development. We know precious little about these upcoming projects, as they are in various early stages of development, but the codenames and general information of which has been unveiled. Uh, unveiled. The next game in the Cyberpunk series, currently referred to as Project Orion, will be developed by CD Projekt's, re- CD Projekt's new North American studio, and will apparently fully unleash the potential of the Cyberpunk universe. Uh, it looks like the Witcher IP will be going to work out over the next few years, with three titles in active development. The first, named Project Polaris, is the new title that CD Projekt Red uh, and previously announced back in March. The game will act as a launching point for a new trilogy with a third the second and third installments set to be released in a six-year window that will begin with the launch of Polaris. The next Witcher title, Project Canis Majoris, will be separate from the aforementioned trilogy and helmed by an external studio under the supervision of devs that have previously worked on the series. The third and final Witcher title announced is Project Sirius, uh, in development at Boston-based studio Molasses Flood. This Watcher game will feature both single-player and multiplayer gameplay. Very little has been said about this project, but a story, quest, and campaign has been confirmed for a the single-player offering. Lastly, CG Project Red announced that they're working on a brand-new IP named Project Hadar. It's yet to reach the development stage, but it's currently in the earliest stages of the creative process. This will mark the first title that's been created entirely from within CD Project Red. Uh, Kieran, how do we feel about all this information? I, I think, you know what, I, I, CG Project Red has had a resurgence at the time, and this shows us the wonderful, accelerated properties of a Netflix anime series that's actually very <laughs> good. Um, Cyberpunk Edge Runners came out to critical acclaim and fan fame. Like, it is... Have you watched it? Not yet. It's on my list of things to go and watch. Apparently, it's absolutely it's great. amazing. It's really it's fant- It is fantastic. Um, and that has shown Cyberpunk have its kind of all-time high of um concurrent players and downloads again across all platforms uh people are really invested in loving that game right now 
And I think to capitalize on that and show that CG Project Red are willing to, you know, continue that project and continue that franchise. And um, they, they've kind of shown a lot of hope and positivity um, uh, around it. Like, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's very good. Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, to announce all these different projects. Um, probably good timing that it's after the the resurgence of Cyberpunk, um, because obviously, you know, I, if this had if we'd had an announcement like this before Cyberpunk come out, this would be like the biggest story in the world. It's like Cyberpunk, CG Project Greg was the arguably the biggest studio in the like most real regarded studio in the world on the back of Witcher Three, um, but with cyberpunk 27 7 they've kind of tarnished their reputation a little bit um but yeah this seems to be a lot it make all of it makes sense though cyberpunk let's just have another crack see what we can do with what we've learned um the witcher is one of the biggest properties in the world at the moment uh, obviously with again the netflix series um the wild hunt being a massive success still years later uh, why wouldn't you want to try and capitalize on that? Uh, but yeah, it, you worry about them spreading themselves too thin, but it sounds like, you know, they're getting other studios involved. It's, I think, super ambitious to come out and say, hey, we're going to have a trilogy of games that will be within a, you'll be able to play within a six-year period. Uh, surely they can't be the same size and scope of Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. They'd have to be much smaller experiences. Um, yeah, the idea of a multiplayer game in the Witcher universe is intriguing, I guess. Um, and yeah, I know. And obviously they've got this new IP that they're working on, so, uh, yeah, I think hopefully they're kind of building back their goodwill towards the company with all these titles potentially in the works. I feel like they've got, they're, <laughs> they've probably got the money that the, they can get a lot of outside help and help, you know fast track a lot of these projects i guess but um yeah it seems crazy that they've got all this in the works in the next however long <laughs> it admittedly though they did announce cyberpunk 2077 like way too early uh so it's not unheard of and i'm sure there's a certain element seeing as they're being heavily funded by the government that they need to explain what they're spending the money yes, on so exactly. that's probably why that's probably why a lot of this information has come out so yeah yeah 100 Alright, so this week we also got a sneak behind the curtain of PlayStation Plus and Xbox Game Pass. Uh, apparently, Sony paid $3.5 million to secure Ark Survival Evolved as a PlayStation Plus title in March of 2022. Information was shared as part of an SEC filing from Studio Wildcard parent company Snail Games, VGC, is reported. The report also included some information about Studio Wildcard's deal with Microsoft to have Ark titles on Game Pass. The initial agreement expired in 2021, but was then extended for Ark Survival Evolved, while Ark 2 will be on Game Pass for three years. The company recognized $2.5 million in revenue related to the Ark 1 perpetual license for the six months leading ending ended June 30th, 2022, and deferred $2.3 million related to Ark that is included in the long-term proportion of the deferred revenue. Kieran, what do you think of those numbers? Um... Yeah, it seems about right. Like it's interesting that they have had to to do as such. Um, it's 
it's funny that you know you know not it's not it's funny but it shows how much investment these companies are putting into their catalog systems um mm. i think it's for me i think it's a little worrying for sony right like microsoft you know how deep the pockets are they are fucking infinite just wells of voids of money yep. Sony, and one of the things we've talked about often when it comes to Game Pass and why it wouldn't be good for, for Sony and stuff like that, is because Sony's a very different company, and Sony can't afford to keep making these decisions. And it's interesting that they're willing to spend the $3.5 million. Like, and you know what? Vin Diesel being on Arc 2 probably bumped <laughs> it up a million dollars. They were like, shit, like, we, we got to put another million on it now that the man himself is involved. But, um... Yeah, I just think it's interesting to, to see this is, is coming around and, and the the I'm interested to see the extent Sony is willing to invest in the PS Plus catalog and the PS Plus uh, showcase system to make it successful. Yeah, I think it's an interesting kind of look at the costs of how much these studios are getting. Uh, admittedly, this is a pretty big game, although it is several years old by the time, obviously, these deals came into uh line um it isn't surprising that sony paid more for like a month of access because obviously they're what they're doing is they're giving the game away for free in perpetuity as long as subscribers so that was understandable um and again like for the that kind of deal sony's only doing what three games a month so yes whereas xbox is for the length of game pass as long as the deal runs i guess um yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting numbers. It really doesn't paint the entire picture, I guess. How much it'd be more interesting to see what uh, these smaller indie studios are getting paid. Are they mm. getting close to this, this million dollar it. mark? I Unlikely, it, but um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if they're only paying a couple of million, they're apparently making two point nine billion dollars a year. Are they really? Uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it's interesting to theorize the map. Maybe Xbox is in Game Pass isn't ruining games. I don't know, uh, or isn't going to run itself into the ground. Is what you know? Sorry, that's what I'm going to say. Sorry, excuse, maybe excuse maybe me? Xbox Game Pass will not run itself into the ground uh, yet. You know, <laughs> I feel like you had to add the yet there to to hedge your bets slightly. Yeah, uh, there's still time. You know. <laughs> once they hit that ceiling of use, use once they buy Activision Blizzard and they don't, <laughs> who knows? Uh, all right, wrapping up the news for this week, couldn't couldn't pass up talking about this. Nintendo streamed its promised direct presentation for the new CG animated Super Mario Brothers movie, giving us an introduction to the film from Jigoro Miyamoto, Chris Milaudry, and members of the cast, as well as our first look of the film. In its debut trailer, uh, reading for press start, the gorgeous two-minute long teaser gives us our first glimpse of just a few characters, including Bowser, Kamek, Mario, Toad, and Luigi, as well as iconic locations like the Mushroom Kingdom. And yes, fans finally get to hear the likes of Chris Pratt as Mario and Jack Black as Bowser. And honestly, Mario just sounds like Pratt. Uh, Kieran, what did you think of the teaser for Super Mario Brothers movie? Everything up to the Mushroom Kingdom, straight fire. Really good. Literally. Liter- literally fire. But straight, <laughs> like, literally, 
the whole setting of the Cooper's Landing, the, the little penguins, the humor of the penguins doing this all-out attack, and it's just snowballs, so they do nothing. Yeah. Um, the seriousness of the voice acting. Jack Black's voice acting is amazing. Like, if you just listen to the Bowser, you wouldn't know that's Jack Black. He is... He's... Uh, it's, yeah, I think you would, but it's it. there's enough there to... To know he's making uh, an effort to be the character. Yeah, but you you think Bowser before you think Jack Black. Yes, a hundred percent. Um, but you get to the Mushroom Kingdom, and Mario is Chris Pratt, <laughs> and you're like, okay, I get, I get the feeling, I get the feeling how and why Chris Pratt is going to be this way. I think I said this to you. I think Mario is in the Japanese anime terms is an isekai, where somebody from the normal world or our world has been hit by a bus. Probably not that, but has been. He goes down a magic pipe, he goes just down like a magic in the original pipe. live action film. Yes, he goes down a magic pipe, and he becomes Mario in the game, and that's why he's very confused and new to the Mushroom Kingdom and everything. And that's why it's just Jack Black and not some Italian bloke. Um. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that that's gonna be the style of it or like the overall um yeah game of it i think it'll be it'll be interesting um the ones i want to i still want to hear i really want to hear charlie day as luigi because Hmm. that'll be the funny one because if he's you hear a little bit of him screaming (laughs) even if it's just charlie day putting on like a a slightly different voice i think it still works um yeah, Chris Pratt is, as everybody expected, the sore thumb that sticks out in the trailer and probably will be the sore thumb that sticks out in the movie. But, as a positive, yeah, A, the whole first part of this trailer was awesome. But also, I love the animation style. I think this looks really pretty and looks interesting and looks like there has been some attention to detail and time and love put into the, into the at least the animation side of things. So, um, overall, positive. Uh, the only negative really is Chris Pratt is Mario. <laughs> Yeah, I'm in agreement. Uh, I think the trailer looks fantastic visually. Uh, whole the whole, like you said, the whole Bowser opening segment, beautiful. Um, even the Mushroom Kingdom looks very pretty. We do get this beautiful shot of Mario grimacing, which has flooded the internet. Uh, so we can be grateful for that. Um, but yeah, Chris Pratt. <laughs> it's uh, it's it it just doesn't quite fit. Uh, I think it's not even the voice that he's doing when he's talking. It's like the, it's just the grunts and stuff. It's like, oh, that's Chris Pratt taking a bump. Yes. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Grunting. Ooh, ah, yeah, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, that's Chris Pratt. You can't, you can't put on a voice for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas he's doing some sort of accent when he's saying Mushroom Kingdom, here we come. Um, yeah, I think like... We said, I think it is like an isekai kind of thing where mm-hmm. he's from, he's probably an Italian American, him and Luigi, and they get magically pulled into the Mushroom Kingdom uh, and have to try and stop Bowser from when he's invincible, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> is that, or is it, no, it's a different kind of style, right? It's not the invincible style that he gets. I don't think so. No. I think it's just, I think it's, a, yeah. it's like a Mario 64 style. Yeah, I think it's a Mario 64 style is what they're getting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it looks very pretty, so I'm excited to to check that out. Toad looks adorable. Once again, yeah. Toad also, 
uh, because he's voiced by uh, he's voiced by Keegan Key. Michael Key. Yeah, but it doesn't sound like doesn't Keegan sound Michael like Key. him. Absolutely, you know who does all. sound like Keegan Michael Key? The Penguin. I'm pretty sure that is also Keegan Michael. Key. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, no, I thought he's yeah his voice sounds completely different. So yeah, um, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, looking forward to it at the very least. Uh, I want to wrap up this episode by quickly mentioning I've been playing FIFA 23. Oh, FIFA? What has, has you FIFA, gone on FIFA? Uh, I'm enjoying it so far. I've been playing through some of the career mode. Uh, of course, the big thing, or at least for fans of the show in uh, FIFA 23, is you can play as Ted Lasso and Richmond FC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I did that. I brought Richmond FC from uh, the current division in rest of the world. And brought them into the championship, uh, and I've been playing through the like a season. I've only like four or five games in so far, but yeah, yeah. very successful. Uh, I feel like the difficulty, at least for me, the the difference between semi pro and professional is quite a different oh, uh, okay. distance. Okay, <laughs> I don't know whether it's just me, uh, but on like semi pro, I'm winning games seven nil, and then on <laughs> uh, professional, I'm like struggling to score a goal. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. That's that's a fun element. Uh, I don't. I wish there was like voice acting is the only thing. Like mm-hmm. they have press conferences and stuff, and it's just like Ted, like, a random avatar just kind of staring around and stuff. Yeah, it's like come on, give me. And you know the commentary. I just wish mention players' names a bit more, especially when I'm playing as Richmond FC. It's, it's like it's say Roy Kent, <laughs> say Roy Kent. <laughs> it's it's like the things where um. The classic like, WWE games where you make a creative wrestler and they're like, oh, he's doing it again. The superstar. His hit yeah. hits finisher. You're like, uh. No. Nah. It's only when it's the big name characters. But yeah. <laughs> when you're playing as uh, Manchester City or Liverpool. Uh, but I've also been playing a little bit of the Ultimate Team and mm-hmm. they've kind of switched up certain elements of it a little mm-hmm. bit this season. Uh, of course, you've got the basic, like, you, you get your daily objectives and to whatever to earn your packs. They've changed the chemistry uh, element of the building the teams, mm-hmm. whereas before it was like the the positions had to be connected to get mm-hmm. the points. Yep. It's just w- within the entire oh, okay. team. So that that's more helpful. Uh, so you don't have to get like a Spanish striker next to a Spanish winger yeah. to get uh, connection points. Um, they've also introduced this moments uh, challenges in which you have to like do certain perform certain actions within a set amount of time, mm-hmm. uh, like score a goal or whatever, you know, very basic stuff, uh, which you then earn points to collect packs and that kind of stuff. I, it's fun. Uh, like, I think it's a not, interestingly, it's a good tutorial. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that's a good way to, like, learn the basics of the game and that kind of stuff. Uh, and it just adds another element for single players who don't want to go bursting other people online uh, because they're about, they'll get trounced and an easier way to, like, build up your squad. It seems like they'll be adding different moment challenges throughout the season, uh, or at least through the lifespan of the game. That's uh, a plus. Yeah, so that's, that's so exciting. And yeah, the game feels pretty good, at least from what I've played so far. Uh, yeah, I haven't got too much else to say. Apparently, there's going to be a World Cup update oh, that's, that's kind of been leaked. Mm-hmm. Like, it won't be a paid... I don't know if it'll be a paid expansion or not, but yeah. People have been accidentally getting into it. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. Uh, so... 
Uh, yeah, that's exciting. And I yeah. think um, I I every time FIFA comes out, I actually have a bunch of content creators that all start playing it, and I always watch just different series, especially Ultimate Team mm. series. Um, just because it's interesting to watch, I do like football, and I do enjoy FIFA. I, I don't yeah. play it. And, you know, I've always been tempted to play Ultimate Team, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, that's just too much of a money sink it would be in the end it is yeah. uh it's a challenge to not spend money yeah but, exactly. know, that's, that's the real challenge from, from the, the games i've been watching people do seem to be it does seem to be more accessible to improve cards and get better cards so far this year than it has in the past mm. like i see yeah i watch a lot of series where people play like kind of without spending money and they try and upgrade their team normally and i think the time they spend in silver teams and bronze teams is a lot less these days and they jump oh absolutely i've i've feel like i've got a bunch of gold cards already like yeah almost entirely gold yeah starting so, 11 at least so yeah it's um it, it's seeing that jump seems to be far easier than it was previously um i do I, shout out to the i've got uh there's one um creator i watch manny who does like a a solo career where he's only playing his player like he does like a custom player and he plays yeah. the career mode and everything um really cool thing they've added into that is highlights mode where you don't have to play mm. the entire game. Yes. You just play, like, the individual highlights of that game that are relevant to your player. Yeah, like, the moments, which I'm guessing is kind of pulled from yes. the ultimate team element yeah. as well. So. Yeah, so um, I think that's very cool. And, um, yeah, no, I think FIFA... Yeah, it's I, interesting knowing that this is the last year of this iteration FIFA as we FIFA, know it, yeah. As we know it, yes, correct. Like, next year it's going to be called, like, EA Clubs or something like that? Or Football Clubs or yeah. something? So... Also, shout out, uh, like, the opening tutorial of the game. You can either play as Mbappe or you can play as Sam Kerr uh, and oh, play through, like, cool. a, have her as, like, a sort of trainer thing for, like, the first little yeah. while while you get used to all the controls and stuff. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's cool. Not only Australian, but part of Chelsea. So, uh, yeah, double fan. Then, yeah, that's one thing that's against her, but, yeah. Double fan. <laughs> double fan. Uh, all right. Uh, that brings us to the end of this week's episode of RK Couch. Yeah, if you want to let us know about any of the stories we talked about today, any questions, comments, concerns, uh, by tweeting us at the Explosion Pod on Twitter, or you can go to explosion.com slash Twitter to find all of our Twitter handles, or join our Discord at explosion.com slash Discord. If you like this episode, thoughts with it all, head over to our free page at explosion.com slash support and buy us a coffee. Of course, if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser. Tell people about the show. Leave five stars. Then we can leave five stars. All right. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you here next week, same time. Same couch. Boy. Boy.